0: journeys that different people made between Calvary and Pentecost. Last Sunday we looked at the journey that Mary Magdalene and the Apostle John made from doubt to faith. And this morning we're looking at the journey that someone made from hope to despair. And this is a journey that was travelled by Judas... I could have called it a journey from so near to so far. So it's a tragic journey. And yet I do believe it's a journey to uh, teach us this morning. So there's two passages to read. First is Matthew 27 verse 3 to 8. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he'd been condemned, was remorseful. And brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And then we get more details in Acts chapter 1 from verse 12. Acts 1... Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. This is after the ascension of Jesus, and this is the followers, the disciples of Jesus. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The women there would be Mary Magdalene, probably Mary, the mother of James, the less, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, James the Less. Um, probably Salome. And interestingly, with his brothers, isn't it? His, 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 Jesus' brothers were there. If met, I don't know if you remember, but before, we're told that his brothers didn't believe in him. But here they believed. And it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians, don't need to turn to it, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to James the brother of Jesus his own brother he appeared to him and the risen savior so maybe that then led james to share that with his other brothers and brought them in and caused them to believe so verse 15 and in those days peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether the number of names was about 120. So these were in the upper room. It wasn't a little room. It was a big room. Probably about the size of our lounge maybe. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. Just pause. If you remember, the reading I've just read, it said the the leaders purchased a field. But uh, it seems that because they purchased a field with the money that Judas gave back... Acts ascribe, sorry Luke ascribes it in Acts, to Judas having bought that field. So this man, now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the field in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Ekel Dharma, that is, field of blood for it is written in the book of Psalms let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office I think we're finished there actually, uh, the rest goes on to describe how the disciples then chose another person uh, Matthias to take Judas's place as, as an apostle let's, let's pray shall we So, Lord, as uh, you open the Scriptures to those two on the road to Emmaus, would you by your Spirit do the same for us? And open our eyes to see all that you want us to see. And may our hearts burn within us as you do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Judas clearly, was one of the twelve apostles, one of the privileged. He was handpicked by Jesus, personally handpicked, personally chosen. And he was one of the trusted followers, the inner cabinet, if you like. So, he had all the privileges of seeing all of the miracles of Jesus firsthand. He heard all of the teaching that Jesus gave to the multitudes, And he had the privilege of hearing often the interpretation or the the application of that teaching. He had the privilege of being personally taught. Because Jesus often took his disciples aside to teach them at a personal level. He had all of those privileges and even the privilege of, of God, seeing God provide for their needs at every situation, in every situation. And as I'm sure you know, he was entrusted with the money bag for the group. He was their treasurer, albeit a crooked treasurer. Uh, We're told that he actually pilfered money, took money for himself in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 12. And Judas was sent out with the twelve and Judas would have healed in Jesus name he would have cast out demons in Jesus name because Jesus gave authority to his disciples to do that and yet in spite of all of those privileges he was the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and you, we know that his name has become synonymous with betrayal you know and I, I can't imagine there being many children newborn babies named Judas there might be and I doubt if he's ever very seldom preached on in, in churches I don't know so if we combine the two accounts that, that we read this is what happened Judas betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders within hours of that Jesus had been arrested beaten scourged, condemned to death, and then crucified. I don't think that was ever in Judas' mind when he betrayed Jesus. I don't think that was his intention whatsoever. I wonder whether Judas, all along, was really hoping that Jesus would be the delivering Messiah. That he was the one that he'd pinned his hopes on to show his power over the Roman rulers and set up his kingdom. I, I wonder whether that was so. And as, as the, 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 those three years passed by and it didn't happen, I wonder whether he got more and more frustrated, more and more despondent, perhaps angry. And it might have been his betrayal was his dis- de- desperate attempt to force Jesus' hand. To show his power. To show his power to the unbelieving leaders. And finally, to display how great he was and, and to lead the Is- Israel into their promised kingdom. I wonder if that was so. But none of that happened. And Judas, and Jesus rather, instead submitted himself... To being crucified. And so Judas, racked with guilt and, and racked with remorse and probably shame at what he'd done, he went back to the Jewish leaders and, and he wanted to give their money back out of, out of his conscience, a bad conscience. And they wouldn't take it. And so he threw it onto the onto the floor of the temple. And the Jewish leaders wouldn't. In total hypocrisy, they wanted to keep the law. So having been about to crucify the Messiah, they said, oh, we can't touch that money, it's blood money. And so they bought a potter's field. And with that field, they were going to make it into a cemetery for strangers who died without having anywhere to be buried in. And then sometime after, I think after the crucifixion, Judas, not being able to live with his conscience he went to that same piece of land and hanged himself. And I, again, think it was that the tree on which he was hanging, most likely, overlooked a ravine. It was a potter's field. It, w- it was used for excavating clay, for pottery, maybe for years. So there would have been large dips in, the, in, the, in and la- maybe big quarry faces. And I think that he hung himself on a tree... And it overlooked the face of a face of a cliff. And as he hung himself, the, 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 perhaps the branch snapped and it fell down, and his, and his body was smashed to bits at the bottom. And that's how we get the accounts, and that's the indication of the accounts. And because of that, the field also became known as the field of blood. He went against his conscience. You know, it's, a, it's an awful thing to go against your conscience. That conscience is, is God's gift to you and me. It's awful to have a troubled conscience. Have, have you ever had a troubled conscience? I think we all have, haven't we? We've all gone against our conscience at some time. Always listen to your conscience. Don't dull that gift of God, that conscience, by ignoring it. it's it's a bit like an alarm clock is your conscience you know generally usually the alarm clock wakes you up in the morning and the conscience wakes you up and warns you when you're doing wrong but if you ignore your alarm clock enough times eventually you'll sleep through it you'll become dull (coughs) dull of hearing so uh, Judas is a cautionary warning to us not not to go against our conscience we have to be sensitive our consciences peter sorry paul said this you don't need to turn to it it's acts 24 16 he said i myself always strive to have a conscience that's clear towards god and towards men it's great isn't it towards god and towards men have a clear conscience the bible speaks of having a seared conscience you, it's like a quarterized conscience, you know. Where you, if, if you go against your conscience enough, it, 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 you, you quarterize it, it. It becomes dull and dead, and all the nerve ends are dead. That's what it means. And so you can see your conscience. A clear conscience is worth its weight in gold especially when that conscience has been instructed by the Word of God. We've got a responsibility to instruct our conscience, to teach it from the Word of God. I, I was reading this, that the US Treasury Department used to have, and I don't know if they still have, they might still have it, what they called the a conscience fund. And every year they received anonymously thousands of dollars from people who had cheated on their taxes they sent in the money that they'd failed to cover you know to to give to the government interestingly enough people very rarely ever wrote a check out <laughs> i wonder why that was yeah. a letter was once sent to the inland revenue which said dear sir i cannot sleep at night so i am enclosing 100 pounds i owe you ps if i still cannot sleep i will send you the rest later <laughs> so, okay. better to listen to a full conscience Not only will you sleep better, but you'll be right with God, and you'll be blessed. Such a tragedy that Judas didn't live, listen to his conscience earlier. Because eventually, when he was troubled by it, he couldn't repent. He'd become hardened to it. He couldn't respond with real sorrow for the sin that he'd done. Could have repented. But he did Be sensitive to your conscience. There are one or two questions, big questions, I think, about Judas, that we could do with answering. A, I, I remembered a little saying. Don't know where I came across this. It said, "I have the saying is I had six faithful friends. They taught me all I knew, and by those names, these names, I know them. What, why, how, where, when, who? Okay, simple questions." which teach us. some of those faithful friend questions are quite hard to answer concerning Judas not going to answer them all why did Jesus choose Judas what can we learn from that how did Judas fit into God's plan how did that betrayal fit into God's plan where is Judas now heaven or hell The Bible actually tells us that. It does answer where he is. I'll Just read from John's Gospel, chapter 17. John 17 and verse 12. This is part of Jesus' what we call his high priestly prayer for his people, for the church, for you and me. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. That's the disciples he's speaking of, of the apostles. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That the scripture might be fulfilled. He, he tells it clear, plainly, doesn't it? None of those disciples were lost except the son of perdition. Of perdition. The NIV tr- translates that literally the one doomed to destruction. That, that describes Judas's eternal destiny, his condemnation before God. He was never a true believer. He never, never, ever put his full faith in Jesus. He was there, the apostle. He was an apostle, for goodness sake. He was, he was the apostle Judas. But he wasn't a saved man. Appeared to be one thing, but quite another. We can be like that. We can put on a face. And we have to be so careful that we don't do that. Say one thing, do another. A visiting preacher was standing at the door. After the service, shaking hands with people. And they were saying things like wonderful sermon." beautiful message thank you so much for that and then a little boy shook his hand and said that was a terrible message and then he went off and then a few minutes later the same boy came around again and said to him that was an awful message I've never heard one like that before and then he came around again he said that was so bad I think you should only get half your expenses so the preacher went to the vicar afterwards he said you know that little boy he's been saying some strange things to me and the vicar said, oh, I said, don't take any notice of him. He just goes around repeating what all the adults are saying. <laughs> we have to be so careful about being two-faced. Just like the adults, you know, just like Judas. Who appeared to be a disciple but wasn't. He heard all that teaching. He heard all the wonderful things that Jesus said. He saw all the miracles. He was in the community of God's people saw saw jesus walking on water not all he had all of those opportunities you know he even shared communion with jesus yet he never had a personal intimate relationship with him what a warning never truly trusted in christ and i i urge if anyone's here and they don't have that relationship with jesus you know you can hear and hear and hear and hear But until you make that step, until you give your life, until you commit yourself and trust in him, then you'll never be part of that family of God. So don't leave it like Judas did. It's a warning to us. And I think it's a warning as well, because I was trying to think of what happened to Judas? Why did he come to that place? What led him there? And I can only think that somehow he compartmentalized things. I wonder, did he have dreams and ambitions that he, he sort of kept from Jesus? You know, that inner part of his heart and he never let Jesus into that or the teachings of Jesus. Did he have some resentment that he wasn't part of the inner, inner circle of James, Peter and John and some built of resentment? We, we don't know. We do know he had a love for money. We do know he had a love for material things that, that he sort of never allowed... The teachings of Jesus to get into and change. It's very easy to fall into that, isn't it? To keep things different in our lives and restrict Christ's lordship just to those things that we're comfortable with but not things that we're not comfortable with. So that when we go to work, for example, we hang Jesus on the coat peg along with our coat as we enter the office and then we take him back on again. When we go out. Or maybe we leave him in the locker. In the changing room. You know before training. And before we get out with the mates. And the team that we're training with. Or or, or we can leave him on the outside of the home, Or of our marriages. Or of our television room. Or our computer room. Or our reading room. And and we leave him outside. And and then when we finish. We bring him back out. It's so hard, isn't it, to, to make sure sometimes that he has every part of our lives. He needs that. He wants that. That's the way to blessing. How can I stop from doing that? How can I stop from compartmentalizing my life so that he has parts, but he doesn't have other parts? I'll tell you this. It's by trusting him. Trusting that if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness then all these things will be added to us because God's no man's debtor. If I put Jesus first and in those areas that I think I'm, I'm going to have to give up, whatever I give up, it's nothing compared to the blessings that will come if I put him first in everything. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. It's simple, isn't it? When you put it like that. So, yeah, let's, let's make the Lord, the Lord of our lives in every area that he speaks to us about. Another question about Judas was the question of how. How did all of his betrayal fit into God's plans? Well, Peter addressed that in Acts chapter, nine, chapter 1, that reading we read, the second reading. Verse 19, let me read this. How did Judas's betrayal fit into God's plans? So Acts 1 verse 19, and it became known, Peter says, to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Ekel Dharma, that is, field of blood. For, so he takes us back to the Old Testament, it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it, and let another take his office that first quote Psalm 69 verse 25 let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it well that happened didn't it they bought a field and that field was the field of blood and it was become a cemetery a desolate place to bury strangers in no one else would live there it was desolate The second quote, let another take his place, was uh, fulfilled by the appointment of Matthias as the the twelfth apostle. But there's more about this betrayal in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 11. This was written 400 years before Judas' betrayal. Zechariah 11. Found it? You're looking for it? I'll give you a bit more time. It's harder to find Zechariah. Got a church Bible. It's page 922. Uh, Let me just give a a, a bit of background to this. In Zechariah's day, all of the Jewish spiritual leaders had really turned away from God. They'd become corrupt. And they were giving false teaching and they were leading the people astray. So God asked Zechariah to prophesy through acting out a drama. And in this drama, Zechariah was to act out the role of a true shepherd. So here's Zechariah. Sometimes the prophets in the Old Testament, some of them weren't just speaking God's word they're actually living it out they, they, they were actually involved in drama sometimes and so here's Zechariah and he is playing the part of the, of the true shepherd a true shepherd of Israel bearing in mind just keep this in mind as well 400 years later Jesus said I am the good shepherd so Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd so here's Zechariah And in the role that he's playing, he asks the people how much do they think he is worth as the true shepherd, as the good shepherd. How much did they think he was worth? Zechariah 11 verse 12. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. That's what I'm worth. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Now that was a mocking response 30 pieces of silver for their leader their spiritual leader that's what they were saying in, in Exodus 30 pieces of silver according to the law was the compensation paid for a slave who had been god so if a slave was god by an animal they were called to compensate the owner of the animal was, was to compensate with 30 pieces of silver. So in effect, the Jewish leaders were saying our leader is no more than worthless, as worth as a slave. So by paying Judas 30 pieces of silver, the Jewish leaders were in effect saying that Jesus was to them just like a slave. No more than a common slave. And then he goes on, Zechariah 11 verse 13 and the Lord said to me throw it to the potter that princely price they set on me so I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter so how's, I don't understand this how's this going to be fulfilled, throw it into the house of the Lord and yet you throw it to the potter but that's exactly what happened isn't it 400 years later (coughs) Judas racked with guilt went into the temple threw the money onto the floor the priests gathered the money and they bought a potter's field with it and i'm sure those priests weren't thinking at the time oh we've got to fulfill that prophecy we read somewhere about this you know it wasn't there at all in their minds when they did that so there's something that was written 400 years before very precisely saying what was going to happen about that betrayal and I was thinking it's a bit like someone writing in 1600 in the 1600s that 400 years later someone would become famous for kicking a pig's bladder around on a field and would be sold for 220 million pieces of silver for the uninformed a pig's bladder <laughs> is what they used to make a football out of okay so it's like someone 400 years ago saying that somebody would be sold for £220 million today, basically. As Nemo was, by the way. Just showing off now. I read that on Google, actually. <laughs> Peter picks that up, and he, he picks up this in going back to Acts 2. Verse 23. And 22 and th- Acts 2, 22 and 23. Sorry, Acts 1, isn't it? Acts 1, 22 and 23. No, nope, I'm not right there. It says, for men of Israel, here we are, I've, I've, uh, I've lost my place. Yeah, verse 16, I think it is. Men and brethren, the, the, script, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out and became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language Ekaldama, that is field of blood for it is written in the book of Psalms. And so he goes on. God had determined before. God had purposed before that that would happen. And uh, this is one of the wonders of uh, God's sovereignty. God had planned this from years before, in fact, before 400 years before Christ was betrayed. He'd He'd planned the details. He'd worked out the details. And yet in all of that, Judas was acting out of free will. Judas wasn't compelled to betray Jesus. Judas wasn't, his, his arm wasn't being twisted and he was like a robot. He had to do it. He did it free will, out of free will. He chose to do that. And that's the one, one of the wonders, isn't it, of, of God's sovereignty and our free will. We should all do, always hold those in, in a lovely tension. God has a way of working that out. I, I don't understand it. And uh, even the best brains, I'm sure, can't understand that. But somehow God had planned this, God had purposed this. He'd almost predetermined it, if you like. And then Judas comes along, and out of his own choices he makes, he fulfills perfectly what had been prophesied of about him. I think from this, this is what I want to draw from this, to bring this to a close. God is in absolute control. Sovereign control of every situation. If God can work out his plans through the most awful circumstances of his own son being betrayed and then his own son being crucified. If God can work out his plans from that and his purposes then we can trust him to work out every detail in our lives. When you know that, why should we fear anything? Not even Satan, with all of his powers, can undermine God's plans. Not at all. And when you know that and really believe that, why should we fear? Winston Churchill was asked what were his greatest worries during the war years He replied, I worried most about things that never happened. So true, isn't it? We spend so much of our time and energy worrying about things that we can do nothing about. Most of what we worry about doesn't happen anyway. I recently shared in uh, our staff meeting one of uh, Simon Gilbord's daily devotions from his book Choose Life. And each um, um, devotion has a heading, something or. So it's either, for example, success or failure. That's the theme. Or obedience or victory. It's one or the other. That's the the thought. And the title of the one that I shared was, What If or What Is. And in it, he, he talks about how we are prone to fearing what might happen. What if. And he quotes one writer who wrote this. Look at the many if questions we raise. What am I going to do if I do not get a spouse, a house, a job, a friend? What am I going to do if they fire me, if I get sick, if an accident happens, if I lose my friends, if my marriage does not work out, if war breaks out? What if tomorrow the weather is bad? The buses are on strike. Or an earthquake happens. What if someone steals my money. Breaks into my house. Rapes my daughter. Or kills me. And Simon Gilbert in that passage. He quotes that verse actually that James read. um, Earlier interestingly enough. I hadn't hadn't told James what we were (laughs) going to read. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Which says fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, when God actually says something twice, it means actually he wants to say that to us. So, this could be your word. This is a word to your heart. Don't let let God's word uh, fall to the ground. Return to him void. It needs to be responded on. And Simon Gilbert goes on to say, so instead of living shackled by the weight of what if, let's look at what is. What is true and live accordingly. This verse, Isaiah 41.10, says that God is with us. He is our God. He will strengthen, help and uphold us. That being the case, there's no need to fear. Because God is able to come alongside us in whatever circumstance to strengthen, help, and uphold us. We need to replace the what-ifs by God's promises of what is true. What if? We so easily get into that. No, I do. I know I've gone over in my mind. over A number of times I've wasted time thinking about what if this, what if that, and, and woke up in the night thinking about that. All that worrying is so pointless. You know, one poster outside a church said, don't let worry kill you off, let the church help. <laughs> you know? Worry's a great killer. You know, it'll kill faith, it, it kills peace, it kills joy, it kills hope. The root word of, our, of the word, worry, actually our English word means to strangle. You know that? And it is, isn't it? It strangles. Worry does, <laughs> it, it strangles you. And sometimes we'd cast things off <laughs> only to take them back. And we'd keep on doing that. Let me finish with a story. An elderly lady was seen by a neighbour struggling up a large hill to her home, carrying a great heavy bag of logs on her back. And so his na- a neighbour stopped the car and offered her a lift. And after he'd been driving for a few minutes, he glanced back to the old lady in the back of the car, and he was surprised to see that she still had that heavy load of wood logs over her shoulders. And he said to her, you don't have to carry that load of wood. Drop it off on the seat next to you. And the old lady said, oh no, he said. she said, you've been so kind to give me a lift. I can't expect you to carry my burden as well. How many of us carry things to the Lord and then we take them back? We carry them. We carry our fears to the Lord and then we take them back. We need to go to Him and trust Him with them. If God can work out His plans through Judas and sort out everything through that betrayal and and knowing that God is sovereign and He works out His plans, then you can trust Him for your life and your situation. Just... Quickly, let me just differentiate between cares and concerns and worries and anxieties. Cares and concerns can be legitimate. We can have those. That's right. That's part of life, isn't it? We care. We're concerned. It's good to have those, actually. The danger is that they then become worries and anxieties. Because we're not trusting the Lord with them. We're not handing them over to God. And, and Peter says, doesn't he, cast all your cares, which are good, they're fine, cast them on me, on God, for he cares for you. So we're not casting, if we're not casting, we're not fulfilling God's will. This is one of the great secrets of living that Christian life. Cast all your cares on him. Trust in him. Put your faith fully in him because he cares for you so knowing that if God can work out his plans through the very worst of events and situations such as Judas's betrayal we can trust him with everything our health our marriages our families our jobs our future and everything else let's be quiet shall we let's just take a moment to think about these things and we're going to perhaps ask the band to come up (laughs) Just in this uh, time, i just ask you to bring whatever you, ne- you need to bring to the Lord. Is there something that you need to hand over to God? Something that you need to trust in, We'll trust Him for. If, there is a, if there's nothing particular, then why not use the time to pray that if you should experience something that is overwhelming in the future that God will give you grace not to think it's unfair why me and that you'll trust in God's faithfulness or maybe there's some area of your life that you know you just need to Open up to him. Some area, compartment of your life, some part of maybe your thought life. And the Lord wants to come in and say, look, just open that door. I, I, I want to bless you, and I can't unless you do that. Just bring that to him. Trust him this morning. Tell him that you're trusting him. So, Lord, help us, we pray, not to have anything, as it were, private, marked private, no entry in our lives. We just want to keep it to ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to open those doors and to really lay those things at your feet and to really trust you. Believing, Lord, that as we do that, you will just pour in your grace your love and your peace and your joy we entrust every part Lord to you so help us to do that in Jesus name Amen. let's uh, sing faithful one so unchanging ageless one you're my rock of peace Lord of all I depend on you I call out to you again and again and again and again you are my rock in time of trouble. Let's stand to sing. pray with you this morning, then you come to the front and folks will be here to pray, part of our prayer team. Uh, doesn't matter what it is, We'd be delighted just to lift you up in prayer. As brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want to find more about what it means to give your life to Christ, then come forward and uh, have a word with whoever's down at the front, one of the team. Let's pray. All oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.